Welcome to the Bethel Church Austin Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Eddie Tate. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com. has been blessed. Just welcome him as he comes to share with us tonight. Close your eyes. Get your eyes off of me. Get your eyes off your neighbor. Holy Spirit, come. Just say that from your heart. Holy Spirit, come. You can never say that enough. Just because he's there doesn't mean you can't ask him to come. Because the depth and width of who he is is so immeasurable, you'll never have all of it. So when you ask him to come, what you're doing is inviting increase. Holy Spirit, come. You can float on the ceiling. Whatever you want to do. It's funny. I've, I've been scheduled a couple times over the last couple months, and every time I'm supposed to preach, God decides he, he wants the meeting fully and tells me to stay seated. And it's okay with me. I'm good with that. But it was interesting today trying to prepare because I have a, so many messages stirred up inside of me. I was like, what do I talk about? So I've got eight messages. We're going to be here a few hours. Um, Hopefully you brought a snack. You know, what I felt like God really wanted me to do is kind of share part of my process over the last few months. How many of you have, over the last few months, been asked, how are you doing during this season? And how many of you have been honest but pretty much said, I'm doing pretty good? And how many of you knew that was a lie? (laughs) It's all measures of how we're doing, but, you know, I've actually felt really good in this season. But as the fog started clearing, I realized how much I wasn't okay. How many things were around and going on that I didn't realize I was actually not as good as I felt or thought I was. Anybody else in that area? You know, partway through this season, I I kind of was having a discussion with God. How many of you have ever had a discussion with God where you're telling him he's wrong or needs to give you clarity? I'm the only one. Um, And I thought, God, at the end of last year and the beginning of this year, there were so many people talking about 2020 vision and what God's going to do. And I thought, "Did, did you miss what we were telling you you were supposed to do? Because this doesn't look like what we thought. And God said, see, we mistook vision for focus. We thought we were getting something to project us forward. And God was saying, no, I'm clearing the air. And I'm actually letting you sit in that, sit in that chair. How many of you have ever been to the eye doctor? You sit in the chair. And they click those things. And they think, what's clearer, A or B, one or two? And all of these things that have been happening are God saying, are you paying attention to the focus I want you to have in this season? When I click something, I'm giving you two options. One is what happens when you don't intervene. One is what happens when you do. 
And it's like, oh, so this whole year was about me focusing on what you've told me to do. Ow. Ow. So I had, you know, I'm really bad at something. And uh, how many of you know who Chris Giddens is? Love Chris Giddens. Chris has the pleasure of taking our messages and putting them up and putting a title to them and writing a little blog on them. And I am probably the worst because I never title my messages. He's like, what do you want to title it? I'm like, I don't know. What did I talk about? Because half the time I get up here and I look at some of my notes. Sometimes I don't get up here at all. I'm pretty much led by whatever's going on in the moment. So I thought, I'm going to write a title for this message just for Chris. So I have about six options. One that stuck was positioned for promise. And that was kind of where I was at. And then I was like, well, it's kind of about promises. Staying calibrated. Ooh, that sounds good. Tuning in. It's another good one. How to survive life as we know it. That one felt pretty accurate. So you can choose from those, Chris. This message is really about where we, the church, and not this group, the church, brothers and sisters, believers of God, where we as a city, where we as a family, where we personally need to actually take a temperature of where we're at. And I actually had this thought that I wanted to pray for you to come under conviction tonight. Some of you are like, wait a minute. Now see, if we have conviction defined in our minds as feeling guilty about something that needs to change, you're missing out on the invitation to be made right with God. See, conviction shouldn't be the showing of the areas that need to be changed. They should be the opening of a door saying, oh, this can be this much closer to the nature of God that's supposed to be evident in my life. So what I'm praying is that you are convicted. Something that I mentioned tonight actually opens up a door and you feel the invitation to change enough to become more rightly aligned with where God is in that circumstance. So is everyone okay with feeling convicted tonight? So, four hands raised. Chicken. All right, so... What I'm going to do is I'm going to kind of just go over some areas that I have focused on. And what I mean is I kind of thought, how would I define positioning myself over these last few months to actually receive the promises that have been spoken over my life or the promises that I know are, pro are in here? I mean, how many of you know this is full of promises? Yeah. How do I position myself? How do I get myself calibrated or aligned to actually receive those things. Because if I'm out of position, I might miss what I'm supposed to be receiving. So in this season, I've been taking an account on how do I align myself? How do I position myself to rightly receive the promises of God, either the ones that are here or spoken, the prophetic? How many of you have ever had a prophetic word given to you over your life? Okay. How many of you have ever read the Bible? Most of you, still not everyone. If you've read the Bible, you've had a prophetic word spoken over your life. 
Because it's the living word, it's the spoken, breathed word of God. And if you've read it, you've actually received a promise from God, which is a prophetic destiny over you. So let's go through these. First was for me, and these are not in any certain order. These are not the exhaustive list. This isn't the only way to position yourself. And I'm not, they're not in an order of this is the most important to the least important. It's just how it came out today. Having awareness. And not just having an awareness, but specifically having an awareness of location and destination. I was reading in Luke 19. How many of you know the story of Zacchaeus? I'm going to get you guys to raise your hands. Somehow, some way. Luke 19, Zacchaeus. Jesus was um, going through Jericho. And there was a man named Zacchaeus who was the chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was, but could not because of the crowd, for he was of short stature. I, I, I relate to Zacchaeus. Short stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. See... A lot of times when we read the words, we try to read the story to see what the story means. But we have to go beyond that and hear what's being said and the meaning of all the depths and widths of Scripture. I could probably spend an hour just on that portion of the differences that come out of this when I read. There's there's reasons the word actually says that he was a tax collector and he was rich. There's reasons that that's in there. Sometimes we read through it and it's like, oh, it's describing man. No, it's actually giving us the ability to read deeper into what's really going on. But I just want to hit this. There are some people that allow their circumstances to prevent them from seeing the Lord. There was a crowd and he was short of stature. Some people say, well, I can't see the Lord. I can't find him right now because of what's going on around me or because of who I am. Some are just content to be part of the crowd. Some people saw him, but that was all they needed. I see him. See, Zacchaeus actually had something in him where he's like, I want to see him, but I also want to be seen by him. It wasn't a prideful thing. It wasn't for any reason, but he wanted to see. He wanted to have that eye-to-eye, face-to-face encounter with the Lord. He wanted to recognize him, and he wanted to be recognized by him. So he ran ahead and climbed up in the sycamore tree. See, some will find a way to position themselves to see Jesus. And they're going to be aware enough of what's going on and where he's going to get to that place. It wasn't just that he found a tree. It says that he knew where he was going, so he ran ahead and climbed a tree. Are you stopping your encounters with God because of your circumstances or who you think you are? Are you happy just being in the crowd, watching him walk by? Or are you watching enough to recognize where he's going, running ahead and saying, I am positioning myself to have a face-to-face encounter with Jesus? Awareness. Trusting God and not trusting what you know. 
Some of us are very intelligent. We're very smart. Gosh, in this day and age, you have Prophet Google. You can go to the prophet and he can tell you anything. Can't trust half of it, but you can go there and get information. See, information is so readily available that we've lost, we've lost the desire to actually seek out for ourselves truth because so many things are just at hand. Trusting God, actually trusting that what he says is the truth and going here rather than the internet. See, I, I would challenge you to even ask, how many of you have heard a verse and said, oh, I wonder what that means, and you look it up online and somebody else has told you what they think that verse meant? I've done it. But how many of you know that if I want to have the revelation of what God is saying, I need to go here without anyone else's version of what it's saying because it's a living word. How many of you have ever read the word and had the same verse mean something different multiple times throughout your lives? If that's true, why would you trust what someone else is saying? Why wouldn't you go to God and hear what he's speaking to you in that moment? Trusting God. Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. If we have everything figured out and we know everything there is to know about our Christian lives, we've reduced God to our size. See, when you seek revelation for God for the purpose of having all knowledge about what he thinks, you're actually putting him in a box. You're creating a place where he can no longer have the mysteries in front of you. It's just as important to have areas of, of our lives that we don't understand. It's just as important to have that as it is to have revelation. See, we're supposed to increase in revelation and knowledge. That is supposed to happen. That's how we grow in our maturity. That's how we grow in our relationship with God. But there is just as much need to have the mysteries of God in front of us. Because it is in that area that trust is formed. The word leaning, lean not on your own understanding. The word lean is actually being supported by. It's, I'm leaning. If that's my understanding, this is great. But if this table moves, what's going to happen? What do you want your understanding, what do you want your strength to be underneath what you're leaning on? We need to make sure we're not leaning or being supported by our understanding. Because as we step out in faith and take risk, it shouldn't be taking risk with an expectation that God's going to do what I understand him to do. It should be I step out in faith and take risk, trusting that he's a good God, not really knowing what he's going to do. See, when you trust on what you know about God, you've set yourself, set yourself up for disappointment. Why? I know if I pray for this sick person, God says they'll be healed. 
they don't get healed the way I think they should or in the timeline I say, and all of a sudden I've set up disappointment in my heart because I had an expectation of my understanding of what he's going to do is limited to what I want. But when I trust in God, the outcome doesn't actually matter to me anymore because my job was to step out in faith and invite him into a situation, and now I've done everything I need, and I, I rejoice in the fact that he's now here. See, my understanding can limit me to expect a situation to be resolved in the way I want it to. My trust expects him to show up when I ask. That's it. You guys doing okay? You guys are quiet. Okay, I'm going to talk on this one, but this one I don't like. If I'm anything, I'm honest. <laughs> Humility and guarding our thoughts and words. Anyone else struggle with this sometimes? No? <laughs> I know. I was going to say, it's one of my best friends that just said that. That's awesome. Proverbs 1.5, a wise man will hear and increase learning, and a man of understanding will attain wise counsel. I think this is one of the biggest challenges for people as they, quote-unquote, mature in their relationship with Christ, is they begin to discredit what others speak into their lives because they think their relationship with God and what they're hearing is all they need. It's one of the most dangerous traps that we can set for ourselves. That when we become so prideful that our relationship with God and what we think we understand about Him actually excludes the counsel and wisdom of other people in our lives. Being positioned... Being positioned for promise is often recognizing God using other people to speak to you. If I'm humble, I should be positioned to receive. If I'm arrogant, what he says has to come to me directly. Some of the greatest revelation I think I've ever heard sometimes come from, comes from children. You know, there's so many reasons why that is. A lot of it's because they don't know better. They just say what they hear. They say what they see. As we grow up, we learn to actually hold our tongues, which can be a good thing, but it can also be an inhibiting thing because we don't speak the truth in love because we're worried about the outcome of relationship when that shouldn't be what we're worried about. Speaking the truth in love is what God's asked us to do. Children sometimes come with the greatest revelation. But the other part of this humility is guarding our thoughts and our words. What we think and what we say is so important. The Bible is so clear about our thoughts and our words. And yet some of us 
almost pridefully to say we're free in rebellion use words and think thoughts because we want to say, oh, I'm actually okay because God's forgiven me. We use forgiveness and grace as a reason to say things and think things that aren't right. Proverbs 21:23, whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Now I know whoever guards his mouth and tongue keeps his soul from troubles. Our words carry life and death. Now, we sometimes like to take that and put it all the way to the end extreme of life and death, forgetting that in between all of that means that everything that we say actually creates life or death at some extent. Man, I don't like that person. Oh, thank you. I've just cursed them now. I can't believe that person would do that. Sorry, your belief system's so shallow. Man, I hate it when they do that. Your heart's filled with hate? Is that the first place that you go when someone does something that you really have trouble with? I hate it when they do that. Proverbs 23, 7. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. What this tells me is it's only a matter of time before your situations and your circumstance line up with your thoughts and your words. See, if we're the temple of God, what sounds coming out of our doorway? Does the sound of your voice sound like worship and praise or does it sound like condemnation and rejection and accusation? When you speak, do you cause the presence to show up or do you cause division and people to have to decide to be closer or farther away from you? I told you, this is what I've been going through. This isn't for any of you. I'm just expressing myself on camera. Because I know none of you, as said, deal with humility or... I've noticed I actually process my life up here more than I preach. I'm starting to question this. <laughs> yeah, everyone likes it. They're like, he screwed up. I have hope. <laughs> in this season, in your life, to keep yourself positioned for the promises of God, rightly calibrated, in tuned with what he's doing, you need to be in prayer and in the word. I... This could be a 45-week series on prayer and then another one on the Word. I would challenge you to say if the amount of the Word of God coming into you isn't more than any other input, you're off balance. 
I would, I would actually say that if you're not praying to God, exalting him, thanking him, praising him for who he is, not your circumstances. He's not a vending machine. God, I need money. God, you supply all my provision. Turn around, look at my circumstances and go, I got bills I can't pay. I got this going on. I got, it, that doesn't matter. God, you are everything. I, exa- I thank you, God, that you are my provider. See, my circumstances shouldn't dictate my prayer life. If they do, God becomes a solutions expert rather than the God of all creation in your kingdom. 2 Chronicles. Oh, I love this. I want everyone to read this verse 30 times in the next two days. Just kidding. 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and I will heal their land. How many of you would say right now our land needs some healing? Are you praying for the land to be healed? Or are you praying and seeking his face? There is a difference. See, this doesn't say if my people are who are called by name humble themselves and pray for their land, I'll heal it. No. If they will pray and seek my face, I will heal their land. Do not put the target of your prayers on the problem because you'll never find the solution there. Put the target of your prayers to the one who is the solution and then the problem no longer matters. This is the funny thing. And I'm going to ask this because I'll give a little testimony of myself. When I first got saved, I had so much trouble praying out loud. It sounds funny, but I literally could not pray in front of people. The young adult pastors of the church I finally ended up going to, they knew this about me. So they invited me over to dinner. See, this is something I would do. So if I invite you to dinner, beware. (laughs) They invited me over to dinner with their three young kids. And we sat down at the table, and they said, okay, go ahead and pray for supper. And I just went. (laughs) And they looked at their kids and said, kids, we're going to wait, because Eddie really needs to pray for us tonight. I'm like, "Uh uh-huh, use the kids. That's good. I'm not exaggerating. We sat there for almost seven minutes. I started crying. I'm, I'm, I'm being very vulnerable. I, teared, I was really overcome by this fear. I could not speak a prayer in front of someone. And I finally prayed. It was horrible. It was horrible. My words were horrible. My heart was in the right place because I finally surrendered. But the words were horrible. See, the problem is is that we sometimes qualify if we're going to pray by how eloquent or how accurate we think the words are going to come out. 
when the prayer had nothing to do with the words, it had to do with my heart and actually surrendering to saying, God, I'm able to actually talk to you. You're not scary. I don't need to say the right thing for you to hear me. We're actually in relationship. All you want to do is hear my voice. And you want to know that I'm actually calling on you and leaning into you and thanking you. And I'm in relationship with you. How many of you would do great with a relationship if you never spoke to that person? <laughs> I'm not going to point you out, but somebody raised their hand. <laughs> I really hope you're not married. And I hope that wasn't for your wife. Do you know that it's actually prideful not to pray? If my people who are called by name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. When you don't actually approach the Father, you're standing in pride. You've actually decided that you can handle all of the things that he actually said he wants to do. You've actually said, I'm actually now the source, not you. The fruit of the Spirit is no longer relevant towards you. I can handle it. It's prideful not to pray and seek his face. When you pray, pray for yourself first. Pray for him. Watch yourself about praying for others. Because there's sometimes, especially in this environment, in this season, in the... In the the atmosphere, society, the... How many of you know there's a little bit of tension in, in the world right now? Just a little. How many of you have felt it with your spouse and your kids and your f close friends more than you've ever felt it before? Why? There's just this atmosphere of tension. So guard yourself. Because it's in these seasons, in these times, and it's these feelings that our prayers towards other people actually partner with accusation and they partner with... with like almost an assault, even though we think we're doing it out of a good place. So when you're praying for someone, don't, God, change them. Help them see the truth. Watch yourself because you may just actually be praying out of a spirit of accusation. Your heart may actually not be in the right place when you're doing that. So when you're praying for others, pray for their blessing. Pray for them to have a closeness, an encounter with God. Not for the sake of them changing who they are or what they think, but because you genuinely want them to have a connection and a relationship with God. Second Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It's talking about the Word of God. All Scripture. I, how, many of you, how many of you own a Bible? I almost got all the hands that time. How many of you read one version of the Bible and that's it? Good. I love, when, when, I, when I get into the word, I'll be reading and when something sticks out, just a little, it, it doesn't even have to stick out much. I could actually blink and I'm like, oh, there's a word. I'm going to read that. I love to go over multiple versions of the Bible. And I have about five that I usually go to. And I love it because I'll find a verse and I'll read all five of them. Because I'm like, God, I know you're saying something and which one is actually filling me with what you're trying to say right now. And sometimes I'll read five and I'm like, wow, that verse said five totally different things based on these versions. But almost always one of them sticks out. 
So I'm reading this out of the Amplified Bible. I love this version for depth, but I love the way this is, this is read out of here. So 2 Timothy 3. All scripture is God-breathed, given by divine inspiration, and is profitable for instruction, for conviction of sin, for correction of error and restoration to publicly and privately, I'm sorry, restoration to obedience. For training in righteousness, learning to live in conformity to God's will, both publicly and privately, behaving honorably with personal integrity and moral courage. So that the man of God may be complete and proficient, outfitted, and thoroughly equipped for every good work. How many of you want all of that on your life? It starts by reading the word. See, the fruit of reading the word is that the word becomes active and evident on your life. I had a great conversation with Jahi a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, and it's just something that's been stirring on me for a long time. And there will be people, how, this happens a lot. People will come to you and they're looking for advice. There's nothing wrong with that. I've already talked about other people need to have advice. They need to have a place to speak into your life. That is 100% correct. But when that becomes your source, it's out of place. The Bible should not be used to confirm what others are telling you. What others are telling you should confirm what the Bible has spoken to you. Are we applying the word of God to our lives or are we applying our lives to the word of God? In other words, in my life and I'm like, oh, I need this. What does the Bible say I need? Okay, there. I just had this, used it to fill this area of my life. Or am I in the word going, that's what my life's supposed to do. That's what my life's supposed to look like. That's how I'm supposed to talk and think and act. That's how I'm supposed to trust. That's how I'm supposed to surrender. That's how I'm supposed to live. That's how I'm supposed to give. That's how I'm supposed to love others and have peace in my life. That's how I find my joy. See, all of that is already there. I shouldn't be going to the word of God to figure out a problem. I should be living so much from the word of God that I actually am the solution to every circumstance that comes around me. We're doing good? This is the last one I have for tonight. Steward your prophetic words. You know, if you receive a prophetic word, you should write it down. You should record it. You should go back and meditate on it. You should lean into it. Now, prophetic words in a culture of a prophetic culture can sometimes be so multiple, you have to weigh them. The Bible's clear about how you weigh the word. But usually you know when a word is really God speaking. And then I would even suggest that sometimes you get a word and you're like, ooh, I don't think that's accurate. Don't flush it until you've actually meditated on it and even gotten counsel because sometimes the word is speaking into something that you're not aware of yet. But when you have a prophetic word, steward it well. 
don't just let it be something that passes by. I was telling somebody yesterday in my office, just talking about prophetic words, because I, I love to speak when God's speaking to me. But I don't really pay attention for others. So I'll give a prophetic word. They're like, could you repeat that? I'm like, no. I was just the mouthpiece in that one, bro. I didn't have anything on that. I've probably forgotten 90% of the prophetic words I've ever given. So you have to be responsible to steward the words that are coming into your life. 1 Timothy 1.18. This charge I commit to you, Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage good warfare. Your words that have been spoken into your life are actually the weapons of warfare that God has placed in your hands to move forward. They're meant for something. They're meant to give you purpose. They're meant to give you a target. They're meant to give you direction. Sometimes they're meant to push you forward. Sometimes they're meant to slow you down. Sometimes they're meant to make you stop and ponder. Sometimes they're life-altering. There will often be battles between the promises and the fulfillment. The enemy may not come directly against you, or he may. He may actually just be guarding something that he doesn't want you to see. Sometimes... He may actually give you promises himself to distract you from what God said. I'll leave that one hanging there. Some of you are messed up by that. You can read your Bibles on that one. It's in there. But the enemy will sometimes offer you something to distract you from where you're supposed to be. If God has promised something to you, he's actually given you everything you need to accomplish it. The problem is, is that we sometimes mistake the promise and the timing. If it doesn't happen in the way or time we think, we actually think it was not right. And sometimes we take, this is so crazy, you sometimes take on yourself that you did something to disqualify the promise. I hate to tell you, you're not that great. You're not that powerful. You're not going to do something that's going to mess up what God had planned. Because if he gave it to you, he saw it already. You see, we sometimes think promises are him looking forward and going, hey, that's for you. God's already standing there going, I'm here waiting for you. Beautiful thing about God is that he's everywhere. He's standing beside you going, we can make it. But he's also standing in the promise saying, I'm right here waiting. God takes future things that he sees inside of you, things that he sees on your life. And then he gives you a promise or gives you a word that if you steward it correctly, it's exactly what you need to get where you're supposed to be. Just make sure that your eyes look through the lens of the promise and not through the lens of your circumstance. Because your circumstances will always dim the light of the promise. Why don't you guys stand?
this is me, my process. This is, I think, for all of us in some way. But positioning ourselves. Take these things and begin to do something with them. Awareness. Be aware of the location and direction of him and his presence. Be aware of where he is and be aware of where he's going so that you can rightly position yourself to have an encounter with him. Trust in God, not what you know. Trust in him. Trust in the fact that he uses others to speak truth to you. Don't rely on only your information and revelation as the end-all, be-all for your relationship with God. Trust in him. Most of us need to have humility and guard our thoughts and our words. You need to steward your prophetic words. Don't allow the words that God's spoken into your life just be something that you read once, hear once, and put away and never think about again. Meditate on them. Reread them. Partner your faith with what he's promised. And really, if this becomes a lifestyle, prayer and the word being a foundation from which you're living your life, if this can become a lifestyle, I believe that this next statement is going to be the fruit of what we do in our lives. And that's to wake up every day with an expectancy that that day is the first day of the greatest outpouring God has ever done on this planet. How can you not believe that every morning you wake up is the day of the first day of the greatest outpouring that God has ever done on the planet? You cannot believe in the God of the Word, the God that we know, the God that we worship, and not have the expectancy that God today is the first day of the greatest outpouring you've ever done on this planet. Because if I really believe in Him and what He says, everything I see around me is insignificant compared to what He's doing. Right now, in this season, with everything going on, you are being forced to stand against something. People are more praised for what they stand against than what they stand for. I've, it, it's been building up this over decades, but it is more evident today than any other time. What do you believe in? Believe in this. So you're against that? No. I don't have to be against something. Ooh, man, I'm about to jump into one of my other messages. Okay, stop. Um, if I truly believe in this God, if I truly believe in everything that he says, then all of the stuff going on is actually evidence to me that he is going to do something that he's never done before and the greatest outpouring of his presence is about to happen. See, we think the devil is running rampant. No, I think the devil has been a deceiver and the devil's scared, so he showed his hand. See, we think, oh gosh, he's doing a lot of work. I'm like, no, he laid his hand out saying, I hope I win, and we know what happens. He's exposed himself, and God is just grinning, going, oh, if my people, if my people, 
we're going to experience the greatest revival the world has ever known. If you can get your eyes off your neighbor and your eyes off the situation and your eyes off the election and your eyes off the virus and your eyes off of the complaints and the eyes off of the people you disagree with and the eyes off of social media and the eyes off of is the media corrupt or not? Is there a conspiracy theory? I don't care because I have fact. It's he is king. I don't care what conspiracy theory is out there. He still wins. He's king. He wins. And guess what? I'm actually called to be one of those that takes plunder in the battle. If you can't wake up excited, excited about what God is doing, I'd question if you're actually looking at the same God I am. And I don't mean that to be a harsh statement. I just mean to be, sometimes we need to brush the fog away, wipe our lenses, click the right clicker and say, oh, (laughs) You're there. And if you're there and everything I believe about you is true, oh my gosh, this is the greatest day of my entire life. Father, I just thank you for every person in this place tonight. God, I pray that you would help us all to be recalibrated, to be positioned, Father, for the promises that you've spoken into our lives and into our hearts, God. Father, I pray that you would take us into a place where we are fully living out of expectancy for you to be glorified in all things. God, I bless everyone in this place. I bless every family. I pray for this week, that this week would be a week of encounters, that you would begin to see God in such a clearer way, that the things that have been fogging your eyes are going to be washed away and the clarity of what God is doing and who he is is evident in your lives. I bless you tonight in Jesus' name. Love you guys. If you want, you can stay around. You can pray. Come up. The prayer servants will be praying. Otherwise, bless you. Bless your families. Bless you online. We love you guys. Thanks for listening to the Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit BethelATX.com.